You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. For those who don't know, I was away for eight weeks. I was granted a sabbatical, which was lovely, so I want to say thank you, uh, Upon returning, thank you to Greg, Pastor Greg, uh, thank you to the elders and the board for their support for um, making this happen. Um, it was it was great. Um, I've, I've talked to some of you about how it was, you know, how was the sabbatical, and I usually just end up talking about how much time I spent in the car with my wife and kids, um, which was awesome. We did that on purpose. We wanted to go see family you know, that we've missed over the past year and a half. So we definitely uh, did a lot of that, and it was good. But spiritually, uh, this summer was a time for, for our family to abide together uh, with the Lord in a very unique way, uh, a very unified way as a family, a unit. So that was good. We were grateful for what God uh, was doing in us as a family, um, in me, Chris Lynn, and our kids. You know, we enjoyed times uh, in the scriptures and reading good books and reminded daily of, of God's love for us and our need for his love and his grace to sustain and carry us through um, our life as a family, um, as well as our life in ministry at this church. So it was really good. We're refreshed, uh, but we're very thankful to be returning to this loving community, to our home at uh, the gate. We definitely missed being here. Um, and believe it or not, one of the strange things that I missed about being here was getting here. I missed being here, but I also missed getting here. If you know me, you'll know why I missed getting here. It's because I commute on two wheels, right? I ride my bike uh, to work every day, and so when that stopped, I, I found myself, I think, chemically imbalanced for a few days to have that routine, that blast of fresh air twice at least, um, you know, wasn't there anymore. And don't worry, I still rode my bike lots. Uh, but I definitely missed uh, getting here. So I love my job. I also love getting to my job. Uh, but don't believe people who, who brag about biking to work as if it's always perfect, because there are definite downsides uh, to riding your bike to work. There's lots of them. Uh, but one of them was described quite well in uh, Season 3, Episode 6 of The Office by uh, Jim Halpert. I think I sent a picture um, to Connor, he biked to work. You can't really see it on the screen, but he's drenched in sweat. So that is one of the downsides. There, there are lots of reasons that Greg and I don't hug very much. It, ha it has happened. But anyways, this is probably one of the, the main ones, is because when I get here, I'm covered in sweat. Um, thankfully, though, I am smarter than Jim Halpert, because I very quickly learned that if I'm going to bike to work, I've got to change my clothes, right? I've got bike clothes, I've got work clothes. That's the first thing I do when I get upstairs. And likewise, when I get home, if, you know, if it's allowed with the situation that's going on, I want to change, I want to shower and get into some clean clothes at home, too. Um, so all of this is sort of gross. Maybe it seems inappropriate for a Sunday morning, but you've got to cut me some slack. I've been away for eight weeks, so I'm kind of like relearning, uh, relearning 
how this all works. Um, and today's scriptures are actually all about just this, uh, taking off our, our dirty, smelly, disgusting clothes and putting on clean clothes in our life of love. So we're going to think about that metaphor as we go through. Um, if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Colossians chapter 3. That's where we're reading from. We have the Apostle Paul uh, putting peace into the minds of the believers in Colossae who have had some bad teaching, which made them feel insecure about their salvation. So that's what he's been doing, is kind of setting them back to peace about that. And then we're going to jump in in chapter 3. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 14 say this. So if you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things from above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. You once walked in these things when you were living in them, but now put away all of the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth, do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. Now in Christ there is no Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free. But, in Christ, uh, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen ones... Holy and dearly beloved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against one another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Verse 14 is our key verse. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for passages like these because I know it's easy to have this big concept of God's love. It's grand, right? It's above our understanding fully. Um, but it's easy to let it stay there in the abstract and never look for it in, in our day-to-day -day lives or in the ways that we are being changed by it. And I know this is really the, what we've been working towards in our sermon series with No Greater Love this summer. Uh, but when love uh, stays that way as a concept, then the growth that's supposed to happen and the transformation that Paul's talking about is stunted. It's very slow. Paul makes it clear that our discipline with Jesus, our, our discipleship with Jesus is a transforming process and not just one that occurs gloriously at the end, which he acknowledges, but also today as we do away with sin and put on righteousness. So, if you have been raised with Christ, and we seek the things above. We understand that Jesus will make us perfect when he returns. Absolutely. But for now, Paul has a lot of examples of sin that the Christian needs to put off, right? These ways of thinking and living, specific examples of things that go directly against God's love. That's what they are, right? A sexual sin, evil desire, greed, anger, malice, lying, unforgiveness, and the list goes on. These things 
simply don't have a place in the beautiful kingdom of God. They are examples of the opposite of God's kind of love and the things that God is leading us into as we follow Christ. So there's the contrast of these things and then the invitation or command uh, to, to choose love by being compassionate, kind, humble, patient, gracious, and forgiving. Uh, this list reminds us of 1 Corinthians 13, which uh, famously says, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So these are specific attributes of what God's love is. If we want to know what love is, what love means, here's your list. And as I read through this, and, you know, we're talking about uh, my, my sabbatical and the time spent with my family in our vehicle for 11 or 12 hours on our way to Saskatchewan. I don't recall necessarily fulfilling the right side of this list. I, I see myself as a person who um, maybe could be envious, right? I, I could be uh, arrogant or rude. If I'm hungry, I'm, I'm probably going to be irritable like 99% of the time, um, right? There, I, I hate to admit it, but I can be self-seeking and everything else, all these things. And the point is, I need to be transformed by God's love in these tangible ways, in these examples. I have so not arrived yet, and, and neither have you, right? The arrival like Paul, Paul mentioned, is Jesus' arrival. That's when we're completed in this process. But until then, each one of us very much needs to be changed towards love in these areas because they are universal. But the question this morning is, and for me and for you, is am I willing, am I willing to actually die to my old self and submit to the power of God who can form this new life that I've been given? As we profess the name of Jesus, are we willing to let his love change, transform us, even when it takes humility and it hurts and it takes courage and fortitude and so on? This is a serious question and one that, that Jesus' followers should repeatedly be asking as we read through a passage like this, which, which invites us into the life of love. Dallas Willard says that the problem of spiritual transformation, or the normal lack thereof, among those who identify themselves as Christians today is not that it is impossible or that effectual means to it are not available. So it's not impossible for you to be spiritually transformed. The means to it have been provided for you. But the problem is that it is not intended which means that people do not see it and its value and decide to carry through with it. We don't decide to carry through with it to do the things Jesus did and said. Okay, so this is where the sweaty clothes metaphor comes back in. Our Father has bought the clothes for us. 
They're there for us as soon as we get home to get dressed in and to put on. But it's not enough, like I said, to simply understand that they're there, think about them being there, and say, yes, I've got nice, clean clothes. No, we have to get changed into them, right? Take up, put off the old self, which is dirty and disgusting, and put on the beautiful, clean clothes that are waiting for us. Can you imagine me arriving at, either at work or at home, smelly and gross, which I do, and then just sitting down to get started with the rest of my day or evening, or, or coming home to, to try to, you know, hug my wife and kids and make the food without washing up first. That's gross. So we've got to be willing to make that step, to intend to do it, as Dallas Willard said, to, to make the choice to put off those dirty clothes and put on the new ones. And we're not talking about our salvation and what Jesus achieved for us, like I said, the clothes were bought by our Father, but the practice of putting them on is our responsibility, and that's where transformation occurs. Because if we won't make the effort to obey God to live with more patience, more grace, more kindness, more humility, these concrete examples of his love, then we're basically leaving those clothes folded neatly in the closet and walking around like bad-smelling Christian, like a stinky Christian, which we do not want to be. We've got to take the steps, make the decisions, think carefully and pray based on who we are in Jesus today, not who we used to be, the old self in the world. The old self is dead. If you are in Christ, you're alive in him. That's the new self. Uh, In a different context, I was reminded as I thought about this of Isaiah, who uses the same metaphor. Isaiah 64, 6 says, We've all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. A little bit earlier in 61, uh, by contrast, this is prophetic clearly to the new self. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. I exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garment of salvation. He's wrapped me in a robe of righteousness as a groom wears a turban and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. The best clothes, that's what God has bought for us and placed on us through Jesus. So we can be encouraged in this process knowing that it is exactly what God wants to happen in us. It's not something that, we, that is a thing to to muster up on our own. No, this is God's will for us to be transformed, isn't it? When we were raised with Jesus and we put on love, uh, the, the actions, when we put on love, our actions align with this new identity. When we put on love, our actions fall in line with this identity that we have in Christ. And, and this is where truly we are unstoppable as God works in our lives in and through us. And we'll be amazed to see how it happens as we choose to follow his will for our lives. Um, so before we finish, I, I, f- I felt like I had to mention um, how strongly I believe that community or people, if you don't like the word community, people are essential uh, to this process. People are essential to this command to put on love from Paul. I'll read again our verse uh, at the end of the passage, Colossians 3.14. It says, above all, put on love. And then what's the second half? Love is the perfect bond of unity. 
That word unity, that speaks to relationship, doesn't it? We can't have unity if we are alone. What will we be united to, right? If we're isolated, we can't have unity. But as we live in relationship with others and are open to other people in our lives, we'll be given plenty of opportunities to either put on love or alternately keep living in our sweaty, gross clothes and wear those ones instead. We can think of all kinds of examples. It's easy. Uh, let's say, for example, maybe you've done a project and it went really well. You've excelled at it, and so people are commending you for that and praising you for your work. That's fine. But maybe the temptation there is to become conceited and arrogant and prideful in what you think you can do and achieve, right? Or let's say that you are stressed by, by things going on in your life, maybe at school or at work. As the weight of circumstances press down, uh, you could be tempted to be rude and irritable with your family or roommates or whoever, right? Or, or frustrations. Uh, speaking of family, family, friends, they can be frustrating. Amen? So that can tempt us towards bitterness and gossip and slander and things like that. Or very importantly, maybe someone you know has hurt you, done something wrong, to you, and so you're tempted to retaliate, to not forgive, and to hate them for what they did. Right? These are all basic human situations. I think that probably each of those has happened in some way to each of us at some point in time. They're not unique. But what's unique to the Christian is the way that we respond to the situations, right? Because the responses I listed, uh, the unloving ones, those are fairly basic. In fact, they're often justified, right? When we've been hurt or wronged or whatever, we feel justified in not loving, choosing love. But for those who follow Christ, the Holy Spirit is able to take these situations and redeem them, right? We follow a God who offers them, uh, not just as frustrations that we've got to live with, but actually as opportunities to put on the transforming love of Christ. They're opportunities because of the Holy Spirit. So when we used to give in to our, our temptations and natural desires, the supernatural transformation that's happening inside of us leads us to choose a better response that our old self never used to do. And these are markers of the growth of, the, of, of our faith and our walk with Jesus as we live. So there is a reason that God's put, God puts people in our lives. It's so that we can give and experience his love firsthand. There's a reason that God puts people around us. It's so we can give love and experience it firsthand through all the things that have been listed in Colossians and 1 Corinthians as we practice those things. So no, we don't need to uh, sit around and wait for the glorious return of Jesus to start living in the glory of his love. We long for Jesus' return and we pray and wait for that, but we don't sit and wait. We get to work while we wait and allow his spirit to change us, grow us, and transform us in our day-to-day -day lives. Putting off the old self 
It's a continuous process that's going to uh, reveal the love of God, what it really looks like, how it has saved us, how it is redeeming these things that we sort through and navigate as we call on the name of Jesus and see God's faithfulness through and through. So in summary, if you have been raised with Christ, we seek the things above. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. And above all, let us put on love which bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things, endures all things, and truly it never ends. Praise God. Amen. Uh, the band can come up to the stage now as we transition to a time for co communion and worship through song this morning. Um, each week we take the opportunity to receive the Lord's Supper as the body of Christ. And as we do this, we're reminded uh, that God's love is a self-giving love, right? All the different attributes that we talked about this morning are, are perfectly depicted vividly at uh, the cross, where Jesus died. You see, we do not deserve to know and enjoy God intimately, but God loves us so much that he gave Jesus to bridge that gap between his holiness and our sin, right? The old self and, and the gift of new life that he's given us even today. And what's more is Jesus knew that the love with which he would love the world was going to cost him, didn't he? But, but he obeyed the Father even to the point of death so that we could know God today and forever. So because of this, all of us here today are invited, uh, whether it's for the first time or again and again, you're invited to trust in Jesus, uh, to call on God as our Father, and to give thanks for the spirit which God pours on us who believe. Mm -hmm.